tuned into the BGSM podcast on the clinical tips and the latest evidence on measuring body composition in athletes. My name is Liam West, and I'm a sports and exercise medicine doctor based in Australia. And on the podcast, I'm really fortunate to be joined by two global experts in this topic area. Firstly, I would like to introduce Professor Joran Sungod-Borgen, a former elite athlete and coach who currently holds the title of Professor in Health and Physical Activity in the Norwegian School of Sports Sciences. Joran is a longtime member of the IOC expert group advising on relative energy deficiency in sport and has a significant contribution to the academic literature, producing over 150 international journal articles and book chapters. Our second guest to introduce to the podcast is Dr. Therese Matheson, who is a former competing athlete now working as a dietitian and exercise physiologist in an academic capacity with the IOC and at Oswald University College and the Norwegian School of Sports Sciences. On behalf of all of our listeners today, thanks to you both for taking the time to come onto the podcast. Thank you and thank you for having us. Thank you. So let's discuss some common scenarios our listeners will face. I've just been employed in the medical team for a football club. I've just been discussing with our head of high performance their proposed body composition targets, and they've asked what the evidence base is around the optimal fat percentage for footballers. Does your consensus paper show there is an optimal percentage? That's a good question. And I know there are many coach, many teams that are looking for the optimal body composition. We were really eager to see whether we could find any evidence that a certain body composition would actually be favorable for performance within different sports. So we did a critical uh, and rather systematic review on this, looking at the published uh, documentation on whether there's an actually any association between a certain body composition and performance, we did not see that neither different sex, neither regarding different sports or athletes or competition levels. So there are really vague documentation that there is a certain body composition that would be beneficial to a certain athlete. It starts to make me wonder whether we should be measuring body composition if we don't know that there's a gold standard. If we are to proceed and measure body composition in this team, what are the methods that are available to us and what are the associated costs and limitations to each method? There are different methods and we know there are different technology offered from different producers. Uh, We also know what are the most typical methods used amongst those operating with the top athletes because we did a survey on this, doing this uh, paper on body composition. And the survey told us that most practitioners are using skin fall measurements and DEXA. And there are more of uh, more practitioners that actually are using these methods during the last 10 years. So the other methods are still in use, but less often. And the other methods would typically be ultrasound, MRI, impedance measurements, different types of impedance measurements. You have to choose what you have available of metallurgy. But if you are able to choose what kind of method or technology that you want to invest in and use and rely on, I typically would suggest that 
the DEXA and SkinFold uh, would be beneficial to use with top athletes where you are looking really marginal differences between uh, your intervention and, and the, the pre and post measurements, for example, changes within the athlete during a period of time, because these methods can be rather reliable if you stick to protocols that tells you how to perform the measurement, how to prepare for the measurement, both the athletes and the technician that are doing the measurements. But of course, there are uh, limitations with each of the methods and you have to know of these limitations. These limitations would first of all predict how you would perform the measurement but the limitation will also guide you in how uh, much reliance you can put in into the measurements that you are doing. Fantastic so if we move away from this potential team sport scenario and we'll move to clinic I've been looking after an elite gymnast named Sarah who's got a bone stress injury on the background of having an eating disorder as an adolescent, it's a pretty common scenario. I think our listeners would be able to tune into and think about. I'm, I'm due to talk to her high performance team next week. How should I discuss the best way that they can monitor her body composition given her previous history? Yeah, so your gymnast has turned 18 and she has a history with eating disorder and a stress fracture. So with this history in mind, I guess you already have discussed with her the need for assessment of her bone mineral density to make sure that her bone mineral density is within the acceptable range. Also, since this gymnast has a history of eating disorder, I guess that she has this feeling, or it might be true that she has gained too much during recovery and that she has asked you for a weight reduction if that's possible. Having this history in mind, it seems to be a sound rationale for body composition assessment, but you have to discuss with the high performance team. And during the decision making for testing, this team has to make sure that this athlete is actually ready for being assessed because she might still have some issues related to body image. And if so, she should not be assessed. Always, there should also be a written consent for body composition assessment prior to the assessment. And in this case, you actually kind of have already chosen the method. The DEXA is needed since you also want to have her bone mineral density assessed. So during the data collection, the team has to educate her about the procedure so that she, for example, can be prepared, that she has to have her body weight assessed. And that might be quite problematic for those with an eating disorder history. For example, the team might ask her if she do want to do that blinded. Most of the athletes with a prior history of eating disorder want to do that. And of course, they should, you have to tell the team, and I guess they, they know that the data should be treated confidentially. The very important part of this process is, of course, the data dissemination and the communication. The team should discuss with the athlete who should be present during the assessment. We know that coaches often want to be present, 
and that might be okay, but that is only if the athlete wants the coach to be present and if it is to the best for the athlete. When it comes to the results of the assessment, this is important because those results should be shared directly with the athlete. And uh, the team should choose whom in the team should discuss the results with this athlete. And it's, of course, important that they take into consideration to have the appropriate focus, for example, not focusing on the percentage of body fat, but the lean mass and her bone mass uh, density. And the timing is important. And of course, the language that the team choose when they are communicating. And then the team should discuss with the outlet what is needed now. If there is a need for an intervention, that should be really well prepared and make sure they have follow-ups with athletes with this history with eating disorders. And my guess is that the sports nutritionist and the scientist would be the best to communicate with this specific athlete. So since she has this history, I'm sure that the, the team will suggest that she's being assessed. But if this was an athlete who was, for example, only 16 years uh, then it would be you as a physician who would be a really important member of this team whether and taking the decision whether um, this is medically indicated that she should be assessed when it comes to body composition. Lots of clinical tips there, which, of course, uh, is expanded upon in, in your fantastic paper and, and touches on both the health and the performance aspect of monitoring body composition. So that's fantastic. I will try and look after Sarah the best I can. So next up in the clinic is a 28-year-old triathlete. They've actually got no active or previous significant injuries, mental health, or eating habit uh, issues. Would we take the same approach with body composition measurement in this athlete as we do with Sarah? It's quite similar. If we, this is an, an athlete who is at the elite level, meaning that was it a he or a she? You can choose. If he is old enough, but if he is not at the elite level, my guess is that performance team would argue that there might not be a need for a body composition assessment. But if this is an elite athlete, assessment might be needed. And again, he is representing uh, what we call a leaner sport. He might be interested in losing weight because that is considered a performance advantage in this sport. So many of these athletes representing the leaner sports, I know, come to you as physicians and ask for help. And it's so important to take these athletes seriously because if you just tell them that, well, there is no need to lose weight, they will start the process themselves. And these athletes need professional guidelines. Therefore, I fully agree with you. You talk to the performance team and discuss with the athlete this situation. And if they decide that he is ready for assessment, that would be a good tool to measure his body composition to make sure the intervention 
that uh, he will have by his sports nutritionist in terms of maybe he, he should lose some percentage of body fat. And then they have to have a measurement prior and after the intervention to make sure they have the results that they were aiming for. So if the team consider him uh, ready for assessment, body composition assessment is a good idea, but not necessarily the use of DEXA in this case. For example, many uh, clubs and institutes only have calipers, and that would be a, a great tool for this specific athlete to use if there is no question related to his uh, body, uh, his bone mineral density. So you actually follow the same procedure, but with your first athlete or your first case, uh, you have to be really, really conscious when it comes to the, the discussion of the results and the procedure. Fantastic. I think you've given a very good sneak peek into this paper. Before I let both of you go, I'd like to touch on your previous experiences, both clinically working in the area and as athletes, as to some of the top tips in actual communication around what is quite a sensitive area. How do you think that our listeners should what language should they be using around body composition, targets, numbers? And then if there's anything else you'd like our listeners to know. Yeah, uh, and I'm thinking about this last scenario that we were discussing, the triathlete that wanted to do body composition. It's a perfect example because according to our review, where we were looking for any documentation on the benefit of having a certain body composition and performing better, the only thing we were able to actually point towards was that in endurance sports, of course, leanness will benefit your performance. Still no no target, no cutoff were were identified. And and that's typically because it's individual. So uh, the the certain individual who perform better with a certain body composition according to his or her uh, genetics and and, uh, abilities to adjust without attaining uh, problematic low energy availability symptoms. Still, it's interesting that a triathlete wants to do a body composition measurement because there are no certain targets that this uh, athlete should reach towards. So I would never argue to do body composition measurements unless you are aiming to change the body composition because you think it will benefit the athlete and you are measuring the athletes over a period of time, just tracking the personal body composition measurements, not comparing to any uh, given ideal uh, body composition cutoff or or values. And of course, while leanness were actually documented to be beneficial for uh, endurance athletes, we also found that a gain in lean body mass would also benefit in, in endurance sports. So thinking of your question, what should we, how should we communicate body composition measurements and, and the need for doing this for athletes? I'd say that rather than being so obsessed with body fat percentages, and I know professional practitioners are less dealing with body fat percentage, rather looking at some of skin falls or, or the total body composition. That's perfect to see according to our survey. But this goes out to all of you that rather than 
looking at body fat percentages, look at the lean body mass that are actually the, the tissue that are beneficial for athletes to perform, to create power, to do their sports. So uh, I'd say that why don't we start looking at lean body mass, either maintenance or increases in lean body mass during a period of a season with off-season off training or in-season competition, and also to start talking about the need to rather fuel properly rather than to look at how can I change my body weight or body composition? How can I fuel properly to actually benefit from all the training that I'm doing? Yeah, I fully agree with uh, Teresa. And uh, you were asking about the language. Which words do you actually use while you are assessing and when you are uh, reporting the results? And those words are so important. I know from my history at the Olympic Training Center and with lots of athletes, there are some coaches saying, oh, let's do this fat test, for example. <laughs> those words should never be used. So when we are talking about assessment of body composition, we should use the language that the scientists actually use. Like Teresa is talking about lean body mass, we are talking about strong bones, we are talking about health and performance, not fat, fat, fat. So we have to be conscious in some sports specifically, there is a culture for body shaming, fat shaming, and using all these words that we are not supposed to do. So I actually ask all of you to, to just be aware of your language and remind each other. You are talking to sensitive athletes and athletes who really want to enhance their performance and hearing these words are not appropriate. I think that's a fantastic final point for our listeners to go away and think about. So I'd like to take the opportunity to thank you both very much for taking the time to share your knowledge with the BGSM community today on such an important topic within sport and exercise medicine. Thank you. Thank you. And thanks to you, the listener, for choosing this BGSM podcast. It's part of a mini series that's being released alongside the new relative energy deficiency in sports consensus papers that have been published in the BGSM, including this one on best practice recommendations for body composition considerations in sport. Please share these important messages with your colleagues and interact with our social media via the usual channels. I hope you get to have a physically active and fun day. 